Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Not Your African Cliché. Before we get into today's episode though, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, where we are Not Your African Cliché, as well as SoundCloud, where we are NYAC Podcast. Don't forget to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, we are Not Your African Cliché, Twitter, at NYAC Podcast, and Instagram, NYAC underscore podcast. You can also email us at notyourafricancliche at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. of Not Your African Cliché. Um, we have a special guest on our episode today, but I'll let our co-hosts introduce themselves and then we'll get to our guest. Hey everyone, it's Ifi. Hi everyone, it's Ife. Hey guys, this is Onyeka, aka Yeka. All right, in today's episode, we have someone special. I'm going to let her introduce herself, Coretta. Hi, my name is Coretta Owusu, founder of Design Viewer. Hey, Coretta. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so for people out there, anybody who wants to know, <laughs> I have known Coretta. She's a really good friend of, she's one of my f- best friends, best friends. Um, and she is the founder, as she said, of Design Dua, which is a company that's based in Ghana that produces bassinets, um, baby cots, and other, or we actually, I, sh- I shouldn't be doing this, Carla. Do you want to give us some more background on your company? <laughs> <laughs> sure, yes. We are a business based in Ghana, and we mm-hmm. make functional basketry and mm-hmm. other baby products made from grass and also natural fabric fiber. Mm-hmm. And we sell them internationally. Thank you. Um, so I think what's really interesting is, like she said, they're based in Ghana, but they've been able to, first of all, keep production in Ghana, but also distribute internationally, as she said. So they've gone, I guess, scaled through any obstacles that you can imagine operating a business in not just Ghana, but in Africa and have been picked up by if I'm not mistaken, Crate and Barrel, and you've been featured on HGTV, Living Homes, and so on, right? Yes. Awesome. So just so we can jump into the conversation and to our episode, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? So where you're from, general interests, um, and then we can delve into Design Dua. Okay. Actually, I was born and raised in New Jersey in the U.S., and Mm -hmm. my father is Ghanaian, but my mom is African-American. So he had a goal to go to the U.S., and then after some years, he planned to come back. Mm -hmm. And when he did come back, that was when I went to university. I I just finished high school. That's when they came. And Mm -hmm. his plan was to just, you know, never not live here again so when I finished Mm -hmm. school is when I decided to come back here as well and live here as well and the first time I in Ghana okay yes so he's from Ghana and 
he met my mom in the U.S. and I was born and raised there. When mm -hmm. I went to university, they all moved here permanently to Ghana. Moved oh. to Ghana. Okay. Yes, yes. So after university, I came here for a few years to Ghana, mm -hmm. and I worked on. I, I started a business that that did staffing for different companies and people's households. And then that was before I went to law school at University of Pennsylvania. So I always wanted to come back and do something where I would still, you know, help people to find work, but just something different, something that maybe my, my new educational experiences might have, you know, some sort of effect on. So when I finished law school, I decided to start a social business. And mm -hmm. I looked into different things that we could make here with the local artists and community and export. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided to get into making functional basketry. So like, what was the, I, I think this is just more for personal interest, but like, what was the process into finding like the artisans and like the communities who are skilled in this? And I guess getting them on board with Design Dua. Well, this particular craft is um, unique to the people of our Upper East region, which is all the way north near Burkina Faso. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are some of them that do it in Accra, where I'm based, but the real home of it is there. So when I decided that I wanted to get into this, I just asked a friend and my cousin to go up there with me. And mm -hmm. we actually had a, a gardener in a family business and he's from there. Mm -hmm. So my dad told him that he should just join us and show us where to go. And when we got there, he introduced us to a friend of his who mm -hmm. led us to one of our managers now. And that manager of ours had a center in his, in his town where they were making baskets. So we started out working with that group and from there, we've worked with him ever since. He's still with our team. And from there, we grew to work with others throughout the community and just really being able to pick out the best artisans that are in the community and work with them. So now we, we don't only have an office there, but we also have a, an, an office in Accra, which is also a facility where those who come to work for us live. So mm -hmm. they're able to live here and work and produce their basketry for us here as well as there so when they you know want to they're here and when they want to go home they go home and they work in the office that's there as well oh wow that's perfect wow uh, can yeah. I ask a quick question am I yeah. um so what picked your interest about basketry in particular I'm not really too sure I think that <laughs> I think that I, I always thought of it as something that this is actually a craft that for long before I was around, international organizations would come to Ghana and they would work with, and, and they do it in a lot of countries, especially mm -hmm. with basketry, where they work with the local artisans and then they display their baskets and say that, you know, when you buy this, it's, it's helping a community. But the problem, the main issue was with what we were doing was that not, not only was, was it high cost to do here, which is still the case, but the type of baskets that they were making were more of a decorative thing. They're not mm -hmm. very useful. So it really makes it something that only someone who's of upper middle or high class abroad would buy because what is the purpose of that basket? It's just something that looks nice in your house. 
And that's really difficult when you have basketry being made all around the Mm -hmm. world, especially in Asia, which is, you know, super cheap. If I just want baskets in my house, I can go to maybe home goods or something and buy a bunch of those $10 baskets. So I have to really have an interest in helping to buy that basket that you made that's maybe more unique, it's more colorful, or whatever the reason is. So I thought that the this craft wasn't so functional with the exception of the laundry basket style. So that's when I decided that, you know, we could make a lot more functional baskets. And I came up mm-hmm. with these um, the draft designs of the dog bed, the cat beds, and these sort of things. And, and I went there, but that was that that took some trial and error as well, because my initial ideas of it wasn't really how it worked when it came down to how they're actually woven and the type of shapes you can do. So that's what kind of shaped out the different designs that we do have. And the other challenge was that the type of weaving that it takes to make the larger items is something that not everyone could do. It was more of a a high level basketry basketry skill at the time. Whereas mm-hmm. now, because of the popularity of these items now, it's it's like everyone wants to know how to do it. So people are learning and there's so many people now that can. But at that time it was a bit scarce and you had to train and find those few that knew how to do it and have them teach others. So how long has Design Dua been around or when did you first have this idea? First had the idea in, at the end of 2015. So that trip mm. that we made was at the end of 2015. Yeah. And I actually first had an interest in wood products, which some of them I, I still have like in my living room here. I have a, <laughs> a live edge table, but the startup cost for that was really high because it required me to have a kiln to make sure that the wood was fully mm-hmm. dried. Yeah. And I would have had to import that kiln from China at the time, mm-hmm. the cost of doing that versus not knowing if people are going to really want this or not Mm. was not ideal so that's when i kept exploring and took a step into the basketry do you think that's something that you could possibly or yeah you would maybe do sometime along sometime along the line or no (laughs) well i think that one of the challenges i've encountered with the products that we do make although they're lightweight they're large and the shipping costs are high And that affects the price a lot. And, um, well, I don't really know at what level it, you know, I guess, I mean, as you grow, your company gets better better discounts, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. the cost of those items, because they're wood and they're really big and they're heavy to transport, I can imagine that it would be hard to to do. So that that would require a lot more thought. I guess that's like a great a great segue to my next question. So what are the kinds of challenges that I mean if you don't face any that's that's awesome. But what kinds of challenges do you face on a regular basis? Um you know by just operating in Ghana or in the continent. So you've mentioned like export fees or shipping costs. Um but is there anything unique to doing business within that region in Ghana? you know, getting things to the market um, internationally and just keeping your business in operation. Well, sorry, Amaya, before we do that, can I like ask a, um, another question about like just getting a fuller picture about your operations? Um, hi, Coretta, this is Ife. So can you like walk us through like your business? So how many 
basket weavers, for example, do you employ? If you could walk us through like the life cycle of a product from how many people work work on one basket to, you know, the dyeing process, how many days does it take? Um, how do you know how much of one product to, you know, how much of the product to make? Do you kind of wait to see interest before you like make a bunch of like, you know, doggy baskets, for example? It would just be helpful to just kind of immerse ourselves in design duas um, operations and, 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 and workflow, if you don't mind sharing. So as far as our, the life cycle of the product, we have a manager that goes out and buys the grass. He gets the grass. You know, it's, it's actually something that grows not in the same region where baskets are made, but we do make baskets in the region where they're made as well as in Accra. So we do have to go and source grass on a regular basis and send it to our locations. Okay. And what kind of grass is it? Sorry. Sorry for interrupting. Like for some reason, I thought baskets were made out of cane. I think in Nigeria, they made, they're made out of cane. And cane being like... Yes, we actually, we actually have some products that are made out of cane. Um, on our website, they're the vintage style products. So we make cane stands for the bassinets as well as mm-hmm. rocking horse and doll doll bassinets um so yes baskets are made out of cane and they we do do that in ghana but these baskets are made out of elephant grass and Mm -hmm. across africa it really just depends on the region that you're in what the baskets are made out of you know in rwanda they have sisal baskets made out of sisal grass and different types of grass that they use for it so yes so we source the grass and we send it to our locations And then the weavers, at at the moment, we normally have in-house anywhere from 60 to 70 weavers that are in-house in our Accra location. And some of those at times, depending on their schedule, like right now, I think there's like maybe 10 or 12 who are at home, which means they work in our other location, which is in the north. Mm -hmm. And they, they they do as well as other people who work with us from there who, for whatever reason, you know, have to work from home. They come to that office location and they make baskets as well. So the baskets at first have to, the grass has to be rolled together um, into strings, which they use to weave it. And that process takes a couple of days. I think that the longest part is making the base, rolling the grass and making the base. But after they make the base, they can, um, more quickly weave the rest of the basket. After that, the baskets are dried and they're sent to our other office where we do the finishing, which includes the leather handles and you know the packaging and all of that. But um, you did mention dyeing, which we so- do do dyeing as well. That we have a couple managers who are who manage the weavers you know, their work and making sure that they're doing it up to the standard that we require because they have to do a specific sizing measurement and the cutting and everything has to be up to a certain level to meet the regulatory requirements for bassinets. And they're in charge to make sure that happens during the weaving process. And those two people do dyeing as well. And they only dye sometimes because we have weeks where we don't use colors and then other weeks when we do. And it takes them like a day or two to dye everybody's grass. So the grass is dyed once it's rolled, 
then they kind of dip it in the color. So everybody comes mm -hmm. along with their own grass to be dipped and dyed. Okay. And what I just, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the grass is dried after weaving. So like it's fresh grass that you buy, then it's woven, then it's dried. No, it's dried a few times, actually. It has to be dried before we roll it. So it goes from being like green, mm -hmm. greenish hay. It looks like hay, like straws of hay to mm -hmm. these um, kind of look like twists, like braided twists. That's what they look like yeah. before they weave it. And when they're weaving it, they dip it in water to soften it so that it can be woven. Mm -hmm. And, so and cool. there's actually a video on our Instagram, on the IGTV, there's a video of somebody dipping the grass in the water and, and weaving it. And after that, it has to dry again because it was wet when it was mm -hmm. being woven. And it's natural. So it has to, it has to be dried very well because it can, you know, yeah. mold or something if it's not dried it. well. Yeah. yeah. So mm. after that, it, it's dried again. So we do a lot of drying of the baskets, even when they move. <laughs> Um, the finishing place, they're constantly dried to just make sure that they're fully dried before we package them to leave here. And for the final like packaging... That... No, go on, Eva. Yes. For the final packaging, is there some, like, preservative you use to, like, seal in, you know, like, prevent moisture from sipping back in? Like, what's the... What's... Yeah, how do you preserve it and how do you ensure that it lasts a while? So before it it gets shipped, we double package them in plastic, but we use silica packs to make sure that moisture doesn't okay. get inside. And that's a sensitive mm -hmm. part of our process because when it comes to filling a shipping container, we only do so after 3 p.m. Like the sun can't be shining and we only unload mm -hmm. after the sun isn't shining in the U.S. as well. So, which is easier there because most of the year that's not a problem in the U.S. <laughs> but here we, the, the container can come basically any time of day, but our strict rule is that unless the sun is down, like not shining, we don't take out the packaged baskets because like if the sun gets on that and makes heat in, on inside, the condensation can cause it to be wet. So in addition yeah. to using the silica dry bags inside the packaging, we're very careful about how we package and transport the items as well. Very cool. I think one thing that crossed my mind when you were talking about the number of weavers that you have, um, kind of similar to, I guess, tailors in Nigeria, but like, how do you maintain like the level of trust within your staff? And, and I know you have like cooperatives, but can you just kind of walk us through how that, or a cooperative, can you kind of walk, walk us through how that was formed? Are you able to maintain um, your number of weavers and then, you know, keeping, I guess, their trust and, you know, making sure they don't leave you randomly and things like that? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure some of them do. But <laughs> as far as our work, I, I think we're the most popular company to work for in their, mm, nice. in their craft because we pay really well. Um, if you have the opportunity to come here and have a place to stay where you don't pay any rent or anything, you mm -hmm. can just work. That's a big deal in their craft because when we were only working in our office where they are, you know, a lot of their neighborhoods and towns don't have, or villages rather, 
don't have electricity. So they only work during daylight hour. And then they also have a lot of stress in their community to go and do farming or go to so-and-so's funeral. And then a lot of people also spend a lot of time drinking there as well. So by four or five o'clock, they're just sitting around drinking. So for them, a lot of them are happy to be somewhere else where they can't get involved in so many things and they can just work. So they use that to, um, you know, make more money because previously where they were, you know, making maybe two baskets a week was a lot. Whereas here, some people are doing like five or six in a week because they have 24 hour electricity. They have as much grass as they can. They all, all they have to do is work. And if that's what they want and they feel comfortable doing so, they just do it. And, and it's good for some of them because actually we had a weaver who, who was in an accident in August and he passed away, but he mm-hmm. had taken all of his money and had built a house for his family oh, wow. up, to, up to the roof. Like all that was left to do was the roof. So like for the funeral, we all came together and paid for the roof so oh, that they wow. could finish the house. And his brother, actually one or two of his brothers still works with us. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of thing where they can be away and they can, and, and most of them are just younger. They can be away and make the money that they need to instead of having the daily stress of, of life. So I think that that helps them a lot. And for, for them, a lot of them want to work for us for that reason. That's so amazing. Wow. But then, but then with the, so how long ago was the cooperative? So wait, just to be clear, did Design do a, kind of institute this cooperative or was this always in place and then you guys kind of like, more, like formalized it a bit, a bit added more structure um can you just share more our cooperative was started when we began working okay. on the project but there is a sort of an industry of how they were making products before people mm-hmm. would either make them at home and go to market and in the market you have like an agent who buys and then sells to an internationally based company. And then there's also like a few internationally based organizations who have offices or representatives in that area. And they, um, you know, buy baskets from people or they, or they work with certain people. So they, the, the structure of how they typically do it is still similar to what we do because we do pay mm-hmm. per item that they make. Mm-hmm. And we, it's just that we make it easier for them to do so because we provide all the supplies and um, as long as you make them to the requirements that we give you, you can make as much and we're going to buy it. It's not like you're going to the market and looking for someone to buy. It's, you know, this is what we need. These are, this is the stock that we need for this week. You make it and we're taking it. So um, yeah. So it wasn't already there. Okay, so I, I think for me, it's almost sounding like you, you make it sound so easy, right? It's like you, all the great things that you're doing for the community um, and then I guess the whole supply chain. But can you also walk us kind of like to my earlier question through any other challenges that you have faced? So you're, talk, you're talking about 24-7 electricity. You're talking about p- um, paying your workers a fair and living wage. Um, how was... Was it always um, set up? Like, did you set up your company to achieve this from the very beginning, or was this a process that you kind of like had to get through? Like, what are your challenges? What 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 have you faced? What are you still facing? Yeah. Well, um, 
I think that some of the the processes that we have now were because of the challenges that we initially faced mm -hmm. in production. You know, mm -hmm. when you're not um, kind of face to face with people every day when they're working, you may not get exactly what you need from them. Mm -hmm. So that 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 was a challenge for us in the beginning, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to work with the, some people in our our location here mm -hmm. which just became more popular than maybe what we expected it to be but other than that there it, it's definitely not easy at all and um, I mentioned earlier that cost of production here is high because mm -hmm. you know versus like country um, you know other countries and some other places that have certain programs set up to make things affordable for businesses it, especially in manufacturing and production, that's very difficult here. And it, it's, it's also difficult to make certain things that go along with the basket or, you know, the accessories because things have to be imported mm. and you, you have to go through a whole lot of processes in order to not have to pay a huge sum in import taxes just to get the items mm -hmm. in for you to produce. Those are... Are, are some of the challenges because this, this is not really a country where people manufacture things. You know, we mm -hmm. have like natural resources, we have, you know, shea butter, cocoa, gold, those <laughs> type of things, and we mm -hmm. export them, but people are not like making, you know, manufacturing things here that much. Yeah. Like we have companies that make fabric, but they're mostly mm -hmm. in the industry of making African textiles. Mm -hmm. So the fabric that we use to go along with our items for some time we had to import them here before we could sew them here. So mm. it, it doesn't make it attractive to us to even do that where we could just, you know, work with another company outside who will make it and send it straight to our warehouse. Right. So that sort of thing deters people from creating jobs here, which is, which was the initial goal was to create more jobs here. Yeah. In addition to that, you mentioned um, seamstresses and tailors in <laughs> Nigeria. We have the same problem. You know, we only have, we, we have a small sewing team and we've actually um, outsourced a lot of our cloth products with the exception of the organic Capic because that fiber is here and we actually just, okay. you know, make that stuff here. But a lot of our other items we have outsourced because, you know, we're dealing with a delicate product, which is for, for babies. Mm -hmm. And it's typically sold to people who are really nervous, really like, you know, they're really, they really want to be ready for the baby. Right, they don't want right. to ups. And when you do, it's, you know, it's like firecrackers. Like you, you know, you don't really want to upset this type of customer. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to seamstresses and tailors, like you said, they are here today, gone tomorrow, or they <laughs> don't do things the right way mm -hmm. over and over and over. And it, it, a cost constantly a cost to the company like you can say yeah. do this with this specific measurement and then they decide that for some reason to them they think it should be another way <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and then you Been get there. it and you know you've you've wasted so much of my money playing with my fabric and nothing can be right. done now right and you, you can't pay me back like so now mm -hmm. I'm at a loss here mm -hmm. and it, that becomes frustrating. I know around Black Friday, we did really well and didn't expect to. I, I didn't expect such a response 
Um, this year, I thought it might be like a little better than last year, but it was like really a high response. And we didn't have enough of our cloth accessories to go with the baskets that were sold. So oh, we wow. had to make cloth accessories and send them every day by DHL oh, to, wow. meet, <laughs> to meet them as they're packing these orders. And it's, it was really bad. And that, that was actually like a, maybe a week or so later, I, I traveled to find a company that would make those accessories for us because that was, first of all, it, it was a loss because shipping DHL from here mm-hmm. is not cheap at all. Right, every and day. Then, yeah, yeah, we were shipping because it was like orders had to go out. They were packing orders. So when you're running out of something, you need it every day. We couldn't just wait for them to finish sewing mm-hmm. everything and then send it. We had to be able to keep up with the orders because, you know, when things are late, we live in a world now where Amazon delivers the same day. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't keep delaying people's orders. And you, there's so many excuses. You, there's not so many excuses you can have. And um, that's when I decided that that part, those accessories I'm going to take out of being done here because, you know, it's almost three years that we've been doing this and we still can't get that right. Because if we're able to send out, let's say, 500 baskets in one truck, there should be 500 accessories in that truck because the baskets did everything by hand or you're using a sewing machine. (laughs) God. (laughs) What's up with these tailors, honestly? She's like, I yeah, guess, one job. <laughs> like, yeah, just yeah. feels everywhere. Gosh. That's very interesting. Uh, sorry, did you have a question for Amara? Because I had... Well, I was, gonna, I was just going to say, um, you said that you did really well during Black Friday. I was just wondering if there's anything that you did differently. Was there, like, additional marketing? Or for some reason, people were, like, you know, just popping babies and in need of <laughs> your bestness. I think that actually, based on my observation of other stores and other news this year, I think that there may have been like a better economy or response to Black Friday mm. in general. Mm. So I think that was it for for this this time. I, the year before, I had planned with influencers, you know, to promote the sale. Mm-hmm day I launched it this year I was a little behind and I they didn't really promote it until some days after so I was really surprised that day because I posted that our sale would go live like it was like 9 a.m on a Sunday or something like Mm -hmm. the Sunday before Black Friday and because typically it's also smarter to start your sale before everyone else's so that people still Mm -hmm. have money and (laughs) That day, my internet was down because those are more challenges. We oh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then a lot of customers started, like, trolling us on our post saying, I've been up since 6 a.m. Because, you know, their time is different. No. I've been up waiting. And where's your sale? You said your sale was coming. And I was really shocked because I was like, I didn't expect people to be standing by like this. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had to apologize and finally post it. And then some people were just annoyed anyway, but it still, it still overcame those challenges. Wow. Um, I'm curious, Ika, over here. Um, do you see as much appreciation for your products within the African continent as opposed to other places? I would say not really. <laughs> and I'm not going to say that for any particular reason, um, I personally think it would be hard to sell such a finished product here mm-hmm. because the Ghanaian, the typical Ghanaian is not 
into spending too much on things. And when you're really putting a lot of, you know, somebody locally can definitely weave it and sell it to you cheaper because they weave it from their house somewhere. But we have so many people, we have so many people who are working and so many offices and expenses that have to be covered to make sure that this can be at an international quality. It's not the Mm -hmm. same thing as what they do. It's similar, but it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. So for that, I understand that if you'd rather go for the similar due to the cost. Um, But I think generally, and not a race thing at all, but I think that this product is much more popular amongst people who are not of African descent. So that Mm -hmm. means Africans here, African-Americans, And I actually really try to reach out to um, those communities because it's my community. So Mm -hmm. I would really love more support within my community. So I reach out to a lot of influencers and I send them products and I try to get them to post to their community to try to reach out and be more popular amongst our own people because they are African-made items. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. But... That is just, that's, that's been a challenge. I know that sometimes, a couple times when posted on other people's pages that more have a more of a African or African-American audience, sometimes people post and complain that we don't have enough pictures of um, black people. Yeah, yeah, black babies, but <laughs> we just post our customer photos. Like all the, a lot of the paid photo shoots that I do, they, they are African-American or, you know, African babies. And surprisingly, mm-hmm. if you go through our feed, a lot of those pictures of babies that are of African descent are not customer photos. Those are pay, paid mm-hmm. collaborations or photo shoots. 98% of the rest of the photos are just really reposts from customers. They're not photo shoots. We don't go out purposely looking to take pictures of babies that are not Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those are just our customers. Like if, if you go to our tagged photos like every day, like 10, 20 photos of babies will be there. And those are our customers. Hmm. So I was and we're happy to have them as customers. We don't have a problem with that <laughs> at all. <laughs> Black babies need quality stuff too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. They totally do. Yeah, I was going to ask before Oinka asked that, you know, the question, I was going to ask like, what's your, like your target market is not, probably not Africans in Africa because again the you know um income what's what's the word my brain is going blank today but like um income gap also like flexible spending income what's that word for it mm, I, I know flexible oh, spending disposable income, income? aha that's it <laughs> <laughs> the disposable income here yeah it's not that high you know people have other kind of like people literally like sleep with their babies or do you understand? Like, I feel like our Mm -hmm. market hasn't gotten to that, like artisanal, you know, lovely, fancy. Has it not though? I don't know, guys. There are levels to this, so please guys. I know. I know there there are levels to this, but I'm saying that like outside, like the, where she will recoup a good, I know what you mean. Like bunch of her money is not in, it's not in Africa. I, I, I think like, you could definitely like curate an aesthetic, like yeah. yeah but no, I, know I feel what like you the mean, most like... straightforward way. There's definitely people who can afford this and would like to do this, and I think that mm-hmm. these products in particular are more of a fancy version of what you need. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you can just get a, a bassinet somewhere for your baby to sleep on the cheap, 
and you're not really caring about the aesthetic, then there's definitely other options available. Mm -hmm. But even for the class of people who can buy this across Africa, I think the second problem is that our countries like to charge too much import duty for things. So Mm -hmm. when I do ship it to them from here, the cost of just getting it through the mail is going to be crazy for them Mm -hmm. because I I actually am working with a cooperative now in Malawi Mm -hmm. to make bassinets. And when they sent me the final samples, it cost me 340 euros to ship them from there to here. Oh my goodness. And then when it got here, the customs charge, yes, Malawi to Ghana was in the continent. Then when it got here, customs charged us 760 CDs, which is over $100 in import duty for grass baskets. It wasn't like 10, That's 20 so minutes. There was just two. <laughs> That's crazy. And I, like, I mean, that just adds to, you know, the difficulty of doing business within the continent, right? So mm-hmm. when transnational, like, ugh, anyways. The trade deals, you know, like, I feel like I yeah. think Nigeria is the country holding of that, um, that intra-Africa trade deal, that thing that's supposed to make trade really easy. I think Nigeria is one mm-hmm. of the countries holding it. And Buari had some dead ass comments about, oh, <laughs> And, and it turned out that like he hadn't to be, even read it. I have a second term, so like he hadn't even read <laughs> the agreement, that. the trade agreement that he was against. He just like was like, oh, that means we'll be importing things instead of you know, <laughs> like pizza? our own things. I was like, <laughs> so my nigga, what? It'd be great if we didn't have to import things, but there's so many things that they yeah. don't make. Right. You know, like they were yeah. in Ghana. They definitely reduced the the duties um by fifty percent or so, like some oh, range or so probably because elections are coming up because the way they were charging oh, us was out of control. Whereas if you need to import like a four by four, you're paying an extra 30 to $50,000 as what? duty. Who can afford what? that? Are you making force here? Like, do you make that here so we can buy it local? Like we would love to buy it. Local. Oh. How many companies making cars do you have? Right, it's bogus. Right, right, oh, right. It's really bogus. You're punishing us for things we need. Like we mm-hmm. need to drive a car. Mm-hmm. Oh so yeah, we could God. buy it locally, but the local price is crazy. It's outrageous. Those people yeah. have also imported it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, a whole like if you start unraveling all the different problems with with mm-hmm. it, just anyhow. But I, I think like one thing I want to say is I'm not sure if this is this might end up being a question, but I'm not sure. Um, I think like basket weaving, for example, is one of the things that has been on the continent for years i mean i don't want to say centuries because i'm not sure but probably centuries right and i think it's it's now like how like what is your value add as design doer like how are you making it you know it's like you said like there there are international regulatory standards you know the different designs the colors the dyeing and i think it's great how you've been able to you know transform this thing that has been on the continent for years into this high quality product that's being desired across the world right so i think obviously kudos to you to your team you guys are doing amazing i love 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 your page and all your products i'm always double tapping on instagram i can't wait to have kids hopefully i'm rich so i can afford you (laughs) but no i think it's more of just recognizing the great things that you're doing um with Design Dua for Ghana because you're also putting Ghana on the map 
because um, I'm sure people see your products like in stores in the US and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, where is this made? And they, you know, if they do their research, they're like, oh wow, you know, it's made in Africa. <laughs> but also a business led by a woman as well, like a black mm-hmm. woman, mm-hmm. black yeah. black woman business. And like you had mentioned, Coretta, that you went to law school. Yes, I went wow. to University of Pennsylvania Law School. Mm-hmm. But I knew early on, like maybe after that first semester, that this law thing wasn't really going to work for me. But like me and accounting, like there's a pressure that comes from home you know okay we've gone there is what they want us to do we're already there why not just finish what you're doing so I decided to finish and I did like the certificate course at Wharton so Mm -hmm. I took some classes there and I made the best of it and I think the education was still worth it I just you know don't have the battle wounds that a lot of my colleagues have of saying that they went and spent some few years at a firm and Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, a lot of people do that because the cost of school and the bill at, after school, and then there's all kinds of other risks associated. And people also just don't like the idea of saying that they're not a lawyer, yeah. you know. Whereas I think everybody who calls me a lawyer is everyone except me. So, <laughs> <laughs> like my dad's friends will see me. Oh, oh, it's the lawyer. Oh, it's Kwame's daughter, the lawyer. And oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm not really a lawyer, guys. Like I'm just a lawyer by paperwork, so yeah. that's okay. Like that's that's you know that's what they like. You know, the African parent is you know be a lawyer, doctor, accountant. Be, you know they want those name things, but that's not really what's making money anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, they make money, yeah, but it's not the only thing that makes yeah. money anymore. Like yeah, I, like the other day, my dad said to me, some I saw some girl on TV. She said she was a blogger. What is even a blogger? Like what 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 they what do they call themselves doing? <laughs> And I'm like, they're the journalists of our time. <laughs> I don't really know if she's good or whatever she's doing, but yeah. Yeah, but that's that's awesome that you were able to start Design Dua. And I'm also just wondering, because like we've touched on like the expectation of the African parents, and I'm wondering the kind of support you had, because you mentioned going up to the east, like to the upper region with family, so it sounds like you did and you do have some support. And you mentioned earlier, like you were interested in doing something with a social reach. And I'm wondering if you have more in mind beyond either, you know, Design Dua or, you know, doing more with Design Dua. Like what's your vision moving forward that, you know, do you see yourself doing other things outside of Design Dua as well? And so I just, those are some questions that are swirling in my mind. As far as... um support the person who went with me was my little cousin actually and he didn't really have much of a choice Um, (laughs) he's a few years younger than me so we do a lot of things together but um at first my my father was skeptical about it and he was like Mm -hmm. you know it just takes a lot to do you know it's it's something where you're depending a lot on people to do Mm -hmm. and maybe we should get out of this and I was like no 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 we should just continue doing it but I'm typically like a, a strong personality, so people can't really tell me much what to do. So uh-huh. that didn't that that doesn't really work for me, and doesn't really yeah. matter to me. If, if you don't like what I'm doing, if it doesn't work, it's not the first business I've done. If it doesn't mm-hmm. work, I'll just move on. And yeah. you know, 
the fact that there's loans or school debt or something that that's not gonna kill me. I can just defer. They will get that money when they get it. We're not gonna die. Just tell them you can't pay. Like it's there's options. Like I tell my friends all the time, stop killing yourself at your job. Change your work, defer, reduce your payment. They you know you can't die. You can't go and die <laughs> over that. You know, you just can't. So yeah. That's just um, whatever. But as far as um, further impact, like I said, we're working with a group in Malawi now and their baskets are super beautiful. I actually just sent them out recently for a photo shoot. So I'm going to post them as soon as she's done. And um, I would love to work with other groups. As far as here, I'm at the moment, I'm content with the the reach that we have and, you know, expanding our organic products is what we're working on now. Like we've just got machinery to help with sorting of the fiber. And I have a new manager who's going to handle the sewing people, um, <laughs> tailors and seamstress. But um, as far as our products, we're expanding our products this year to include some other things that complement newborns and sleeping. And I've learned a lot. Like uh, my friends actually talk to me now about baby stuff like what they should buy for the baby I don't have any babies but I'm like the baby queen now so I've learned (laughs) I've learned a lot about baby products and I've developed a few new products that I'm going to sell alongside our stuff this year and those aren't going to be made in Ghana but they're going to be more streamlined fast moving products that are going to be able to help support our operations here and continue mm-hmm. to allow us to do impactful work. Okay. So, um, how did you get funded? You know, what? How did you get funded? How did you, because this seems very capital intensive? Did you have angel investors? Um, was it family throwing in money? Can you walk us through that process of like getting the funds to get the stuff up, get design do off the ground, and raising money? Because that's another thing, you know. There's this stat about how in America, anyway, um, black women are the most entrepreneurial demographic, but they're the least funded demographic. So, yeah, if you could talk us through that, the process of raising money for your business. Yes. So as far as capital intensive, the business is extremely capital intensive. I think that on a weekly basis, the amount of money we spend is crazy because we have to keep buying grass and we have to keep paying for product. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really, it's actually challenging because, you know, our warehouse and our sales occur overseas. So we have to get that money back into the country. And that's another challenge that we face oh, here gosh. because we have all sorts of fees and blockages and you can't go on this website and you can't transfer money this way and there's questions being asked and that's really hard to do but as far as raising the money to do it I started out small and I used my family business as support so a lot of people will be like oh yeah I just you know I'm self-made but that's not the case because if not if I didn't have my family's hotel business to borrow money from and pay and take, you know, keep paying back, it would have been extremely difficult for me to do because for someone, you know, of our generation, our classmates, our age mates, like if you're under 35, you're trying to get a loan here, that's, that's laughable. Um, You know, getting the money, you know, I I have a friend who has a a restaurant kind of startup and he was meeting with a microfinance company the other day and 
he basically said the only reason, the only way he got in the door was because they knew his dad from somewhere. But oh wow, getting capital is extremely difficult. So it leaves a lot of mm-hmm. these sort of small businesses at a very small level because you are going to keep, um, you know, doing things on a smaller scale because you can't, you don't have the the money, like you said, to yeah, infuse scale. it. And mm-hmm. um, that is that is a challenge. It's also a challenge that we don't have many resources. Uh, for instance, our, our store is supported by Shopify and Shopify doesn't support stores from this region. Oh. So when I started out, I used like a third party site, like, you know, there's Etsy, Amazon, those are all third parties mm-hmm. that you can use. But a lot of them have mm-hmm. strict rules when it comes to shipping and receiving delivery you know, having a third party also makes it really difficult because customers can complain and make up any kind of story and uh-huh. that third party will favor mm-hmm. them and you've lost your money. Right. So um, for, for opening up my store via Shopify, I happened to be going to the U.S. to take the bar like around the same time I opened my store. So when I got mm-hmm. there, I finished the bar and like the next day I opened it up on Shopify, went in the U.S. and used my U.S. information but um, that was a challenge because, you know, those type of things make it easy to open up a store like in the beginning because they give you apps and all of these supportive things and, you know, the payment systems. Whereas if you have to do it from scratch, that, that's a, another high cost thing because mm-hmm. you have to get the developer to develop it and it has to do all these certain things that your own store needs to do and they have to develop that and then you have to get a payment processor in it and there was a company in Ghana that a startup that did have sort of this um, online store platform I actually reached out to them a couple times and they didn't pay me any mind but um I don't know if they still function like a payment processing company it was like a a storefront you know our community is small so I'm not here to blast anybody It was like a storefront I was sort about of thing. To- and I, I think that's, it was a real waste for them because they take a percentage, right? And uh, mm. now like some foreign owned company is taking mm. that percentage and enjoying mm-hmm. it. You could have been doing that. Right. Oh, me seriously, but they didn't. Yeah. And I, you know, text and called and they just ignored me. Yeah. That's Africa, annoying. Please so there are a couple, there are a couple like- Yeah. There are a couple of like payment processing solutions now on the continent that are supposed to be helping you helping solve these issues. So I know there's Rave by Flutterwave. Um, they accept, you know, um, any currency. So anybody can pay you in any currency and it will get, you know, converted to your home currency. So I think they might be like cheaper than whatever solution you have now. I'd explore them. Okay, so there's is Flutter Flutterwave and you there's this free Haystack. Yeah, but what? like, if I do, they like, have these storefronts right? too. Like, they need to be fucking paying me. Can she launch her website on there? Because I mean, Shopify. Yeah, they're not like a, yeah. a storefront store solution. Front. They're just yeah. a payment solution. So mm-hmm. you have to pay and have your store made yeah. for yeah. you, and then, yeah. yeah, and then put their payment solution within your store. Mm-hmm. So Shopify is the is both. Which Waterwave is that? Okay. What you call them? Okay. They could probably do that <laughs> if they wanted to. <laughs> Essentially, she's yeah, saying y'all need to just up a, your game. Like a payment solution than a than a like shop shop. Yeah, payment yeah. solutions like shop, they, they are here. They are in abundance. Payment solutions. Their rates yeah. are not the best, but 
they're homegrown. So we have to all consider that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So clearly, guys, what, what I'm hearing, if you listen to this podcast, guys, what I'm hearing is that there is a need on the continent for a good storefront company. So you're welcome. We're giving this to you for free. Um, just send us some money, some seed money. <laughs> we'll appreciate it. Thanks. Um, I had another though. question. I want- oh. <laughs> well, I was I was going to ask because you were talking about I think this new partnership with the cooperative in Malawi, but I wanted to also ask like what are some of your other like your big milestones for Design Dua? And I think there are a lot of things that people might see on the external front, like oh you know they just uh, added some of their products to this company or this site, but I think there are also some things that. Are like bigger wins that the larger audience might not see so i think personally for you and for your company what are the what are some of the bigger milestones that you have seen i don't know that's a challenging question i think that our first three years because now we're three years old Yay. we're challenging actually um i don't know about milestones We've ju- we just recently started doing really well um in sales but mm-hmm. like and being able to fulfill those, but we've still had inventory issues right up until, I mean, we even have some today because one of our shipments was unable to ship three weeks ago because the agent was not doing his job well. So therefore we have, you know, three extra weeks where we didn't ship any stocks. So maybe in about three weeks, we're going to run out of product for a while. (laughs) so yeah we've had a lot of challenges along the way um at first we were shipping from here and that's another thing that in africa we need better options for is international Mm -hmm. shipping dhl is trying to do an e-commerce program but their shipping costs are still very high and Mm -hmm. um it's something that we as a people on the continent need to demand it's sort of like how our flights cost way more than going from like let's say u.s to india so it, it's something that we have to take a stand for and tell these companies, like, you're not going to come here and rip us off like this. Mm-hmm. But um, we actually were shipping from here and then we ran into so much problems with the local postal system who like lost our like 40, 50 packages of ours. And then oh we were God. working with FedEx only to find out that it was a scam and we weren't really working <gasps> with FedEx. Um, hey. <laughs> so, oh yeah. my God. It was crazy. So like we had all these ups and downs before we actually got a warehouse in the U.S. And we, we would, it, it's not ideal to have a warehouse in the U.S. because I don't live in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we would so rather just do everything from here if we could. But um, those challenges that we face are the reason why we had to do that. So we kind of just stabilized within the last, let's say, eight months or so because we got there and we figured out what we needed to do there. We've moved a couple times while we were in the U S and we're about to move again at the end of next month. Um, so yeah, for us, I think I'm still figuring out what we're going to do about our move next month, which doesn't sound very organized or planned at all because it's not, but uh, <laughs> we need to go to a bigger and it's we need a bigger space and we also ideally need to move to a location that's more affordable so Mm -hmm. we're still facing some challenges 
That's Some right. of the, the bigger stores that we've worked with, I, I would say that, you know, a lot of people that's their like ma major goal is to get into these recognizable stores. Like we work with anthropology and uh, I've actually told anthropology a few times that I don't want to sell through their site anymore. <laughs> and they have tried really solutions to keep me. Um, yeah. Because, it, you know, a lot of these big stores are doing these third party solutions, but they're not really doing anything on their side to yeah. to warrant yeah, enable the that they take. Yeah. And for them, like they have a whole different system that doesn't really connect to any of the shipping platforms or anything. So it requires a lot of work to deal with their orders. And at first they were requiring free shipping and returns, which is almost impossible for us because our stuff is huge and it's very expensive yeah. to ship. Like. People will be like, oh, I, the yeah, price of your I'm items, you're, you're making a steal. And I'm like, that's what you think. But that's not the truth because shipping a box that size is very expensive. Mm. And um, even after a discount. So um, a lot of people were just, a, a lot of people that were buying on their site were actually our customers already. And I don't have pure fact of that, but I'm almost 100% sure that these are people who got to know us through our own marketing efforts because they don't market our products mm -hmm. at all. They're just up on their website. Right. Like if you go to their Instagram page, you don't even see some of these like handmade products that they're selling through their site. Like they don't even like repost or post mm -hmm. a picture and, you know, say we sell this. Like you would have to just happen to come across it on their website. And mm -hmm. then um, th they have their own platform. So at first, like I, I realized that people were just buying on their website so they could return because there's a there's a, a good portion of the oh, population wow. that like that where they just want to either have an item, see it take pictures with it and send it back. And they were doing that. So I said, no, I don't want to um, be on your website anymore. So they were like, oh, okay, we can make an exception for you. You don't have to do free returns. It can be final sales. So, okay. Yeah. But you said that that was a, a strict rule before, mm. but okay. And mm. then I put more stuff on their site again. And then recently somebody was calling my personal line in the middle of the night, but it's actually on a Google line. So what? it didn't disturb me. But then I saw there was a voicemail and it said that, oh, I have an order from anthropology and I wanted to ask this question. So then I went on the anthropology site and like the back, the, the back part of their site. And I thought that that was like my information for them. So I removed the phone number and then they contacted me and said that it seems that your, your account was suspended because you removed your contact, your customer service contact number. And I was like, that wasn't my customer service contact oh number. Oh my gosh. Okay. Line. And they're like, oh, you have to have a customer service line because our customers. And I was like, no, what you guys have wrong is that you're expecting extremely small businesses to meet your standard levels. You mm, want us to be able yeah. to ship free back and forth. Like we have these super discounted shipping rates, which we don't. Then you mm -hmm. want us to have a call center. You want somebody to be sitting here to pick oh up your call 24 gosh. hours a day. That's ridiculous. If you're making a percentage, oh, the customer yeah. to contact you and ask you questions about their order and you get in touch with us by email. Exactly. So they said, okay, the they're like, okay, we'll get back to you. And then all of a sudden they launch this messaging system. Okay. All right. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Any complaint I give you, you're going to come up with a solution, but I still don't want to sell on your site. Yeah. As it looks, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit me so much. So Okay. And I was mm. like, my question, my next question to you was about like, you know, the, um, the feeling and how you feel about being featured in all these like prestigious quote unquote, um, publications and websites, better homes and gardens. Uh, what was the other like major 
uh, publication. Queen and Barrow. How oh. how did those come about, and what are what's your feeling about like the outcome? They contact us, and then I just share photos with them, <laughs> or I share product, and they put it in. And there's there's a few of them now, like simply. Real Simple Magazine did recently, Better Homes and Gardens, HGTV. And then like the other day, Kenya Airways Magazine contacted me. I think it's it's great. And I was excited at first because like, you know, those are magazines that as a kid, like Good Housekeeping, my mom used to buy that every week. So mm-hmm. I was like, wow, like I was in those magazines. But the truth is that these days, print magazine is dying. They're still doing yeah. it. People do see, people do contact us. They do see us in those magazines and it's great um, validation. Mm -hmm. So I I think even before I launched an anthropology, I was already over them, but I just wanted the validation that comes with it. So I followed through. through. Um, But yeah, that's basically it. I think that as far as uh, publications, Mm -hmm. it's all about, you know, getting your name out there. And if it's on their website, that's great because it builds your online presence. I have one final question. I don't know if like any, I don't want to hug. I don't want to like dominate the conversation. Does it's too late. Else? Too late. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Just, just say welcome, best friends. Um, yeah, so I was going to, my question is, like, what do you think prepared you for this, you know, journey? What do you think um, has been most beneficial for you? The stuff that you've learned through the years from, I don't know, undergrad, from grad school, like life lessons. What, what Yeah, what do you think has prepared you to run this business, business as well as you're doing right now and just like, prepared you for this? Uh I think that I come from an entrepreneurial family and that has a huge effect on my ability to decide to do something without knowing how it's going to work or to take on the challenges as they come, because that's just what I've seen done a lot at home. And like I said, before I went to law school, I did have a business here. So I had a lot of experience with the challenge of working on the continent and how things don't really go the way they're supposed to. So as the issues come at me, I'm, you know, kind of a little bit numb to them happening. Like, oh yeah, that that's definitely expected. And it also makes it possible for me to know ahead of time, you know, this person, we're asking this person to do this. They're most likely not going to do their job well. So ask questions, keep calling them, keep giving them pressure. And I think anybody who works with me here, in Ghana has worked with me in any capacity, like as far as like maybe my shipping agent, he definitely doesn't like me right now. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, anybody like that, they would definitely tell you that I am probably hard to deal with, but if you're not, you're not going to get your work done. And because we're women, that's what they always say. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what they always say about women who are really tough and you need to be here. So I think that helped. I, I definitely appreciate educational experiences a lot. And I would say that I appreciate my educational experience abroad. And I'm not somebody who, who likes um, brain drain. I don't like for our people to go out there and never come back. That's, you know, it's mostly what happens. And for me, like I, I was born and raised out there. So my coming back is, is quite different. Mm-hmm. But I really believe in, in us being here and creating our own 
functioning world and countries that work and we don't need to be going to the, those people's countries and doing things out there like I think we should be able to you know things should go well here for yeah. us and um the, the difference I see is a, my number one challenge with this business is administrative staff like at the moment I do most of the administrative work myself and that has been an off and on thing for a while and I have become extremely discouraged because I find that our um, educated population, our educated youth, like our generation, those right under us, they are expecting something that's not realistic when it comes to work. Um, I think when it comes to schooling in this country, particularly, I think it teaches people to listen, to follow instructions, hmm. you know, to obey your elders and what your elders say is what you're supposed to do, which is culturally, I love a good disciplined child. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to them sitting down in my office and I'm expecting them to be able to, you know, open up their email, go through it, bang, you know, everything is micromanaged. Everything mm -hmm. is, what do I say about this? What do I do about this? How do yeah. I do this? What do I say? They basically want you to give them the entire email <laughs> line yeah. by line so they can yeah. type it. And it, it's, yeah. that is, that's crazy. And it's not just one or two people. It's dozens of people I've worked with. You know, yeah. it's to the point where I just don't even want, like, I, I would rather just do their job myself, no matter mm -hmm. how much time I don't get free. It's just easier. It's less stressful mm -hmm. because they're not being taught how to lead initiative. thinking, analytical thinking, taking right. initiatives. And mm -hmm. on top of that, like now everything is about like this fake social media life <laughs> that they see. So they also think that somehow their life is just going to, work out for them they don't need to take work seriously you know so and so is on vacation you know travel let's this weekend go here go there you know they're not they're just not serious and mm. that is that is really crippling and I actually met with a group that like was meeting with the governments um they have like a new office for international entrepreneurship something program here and they like did like a, a forum so they could get ideas of things that young entrepreneurs need and the one thing across the table that everybody agreed about was this. It's really hard to get someone who is an educated degree holding person to be serious and to do the job well. Mm. And that is, yeah. that is really difficult because I can get, you know, a cook who can be serious. I can get mm -hmm. a weaver who can be serious, but I can't get a degree holding person to do emails and be serious. So that is something I, I like, I personally would invest in yeah. for that. Like that, that has been a real huge issue for me, like a really, really big issue for me, especially with our young women, because I think that we, we kind mm -hmm. of pump into their minds too much that they're supposed to, you know, oh, you finished school, you should be getting married, you should be having kids. Mm -hmm. So their focus is off, like their focus mm -hmm. is just I've right, had a couple of people get married and then they just stopped coming to work. Oh gosh. Wow. So sad. It is. It's, it's very sad. So sad. I think there's a big like staffing HR issue on the continent because like how mm -hmm. people, the curriculum is still so backward and so rigid. Like people don't do internships. People don't learn soft skills, like how to write an email and how to like respond to mm -hmm. people. I have, I have this coworker who kind of be professional who, you have people writing yeah. emails yeah. they're giving you like text message 
words like they're oh, not writing the words so so guys <laughs> i would i would venture to say though that it's not just a continental problem right like i, I have students who send me assignments like they're writing texts too so i i i mean yes i don't know that i would even i would say it's just on the continent it, it just seems to me like there's something with this tech age, which is pulling us forward in, in leaps and bounds, but it's pulling us backwards in like interpersonal skills and yeah. communication. Yeah. So that, yeah. we need to find that balance. I think that the difference is that overseas, the old curriculum is not there. Like the, the issue we have with having a, an old way of teaching a very mm. rigid old way of teaching oh. makes the difference because I can definitely say that I worked in customer service in high school. Like I, mm. I can get somebody who's 17 to do my customer service email. Yeah. Like if I was sitting down with them there in the U.S. better mm. than these graduates that I get here because mm. it comes down to being able to know how to these interpersonal skills, how to yeah. deal with someone on a certain level. You know, even if your email isn't in perfect English. Because maybe maybe I am a little strict on that because of law school, <laughs> things like that. But, you know, you should be able to, oh, this person said they have this problem. Oh, hello. Blah, blah, blah. This is yeah. okay. <laughs> thank you. You know, sometimes <laughs> thank you know, you. People, people in their emails yeah. will be like, oh, by God's grace, we will send this to you on Monday. No. <laughs> not right. You can't say that. Well, that's oh, please, out. mom. Like, no, you can't say that. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I think there needs to be like a finishing school for graduates because I think a lot of the a lot right, of it, just, because people don't work Wait, you don't need to call, these are my business ideas. Like people don't <laughs> work in Nigeria. School, it's not like common to professional development courses. Yeah. Like mentoring, you know, like people like us getting together and doing yeah. mentoring of graduates, you know, a couple yeah. weeks and they get rotated so they can just yeah. have so they don't know. They don't know these things. Like honestly, when they get there, it's like I'm teaching somebody from scratch yeah. and, and that the patience for that is, is low mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. I, I think gen generally we just don't have good customer service skills mm -hmm. like, we, we don't and i think like pe students don't even go to like people don't really internships are not really a thing like working work doing a summer job in high school or doing a summer job in you know like things that american kids or kids out in the west do on holiday it's not a really a thing in nigeria where people yeah. like, have summer jobs you know at that, that but like you're expecting you're also expecting these jobs to be providing these students with actual information um and i think there might be some companies that are well versed in training people in their company but let's be honest if someone is thinking okay i have this high schooler who's coming to intern some people are sending you to mr big to buy food like let's let's be 100 right yeah. so culturally speaking like and i agree they do need to be interning in these places to learn the language and culture and things but we also have to put the expectation on these institutions that they're going into to actually know what they're doing yeah and function and appropriately them. yeah yeah this has been fun <laughs> yeah thank you so much Karetta. I really Thank appreciate you, you joining us today. I had a great conversation and it's just great sharing just that much more about Design Dua and you um, and the things that you're doing, your stuff, your processes and so on and your business insights and expertise as well. 
I really appreciate yeah. you. And it's great talking to like a black female entrepreneur as well. Yes. Come on, sis. Yes. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Take your applause. <laughs> So yeah, thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Thank you, Faye. I appreciate you guys too. Made this conversation even better. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah. Oh, where can the people find you? Oh, yes. Loretta. Let's promote your business. <laughs> Designdua.com. That's the word design. D-U for United, A for Apple.com. Or we are shop love duo on Instagram. So yes. We'll include the links in our in our notes. Yeah. So yeah, thank you guys. This is the end. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.